BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, November 17th is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all the things there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, what kind of reefer madness you can find at those dispensaries in town. And so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com, and if you want to help out this program, you can. It's simple. Just visit ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, B as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Mayor Donut Thursday, and here's why. Newspapers filled with stories, ladies and gentlemen, of Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her police security patrol doing something very stupid. Really stupid. Really dumb. Come on, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. So apparently she's driving through, I don't know, where it's like Logan Square, somewhere like North Avenue and uh, in Kedzie around there are... Distinguished guest will probably enlighten me because he knows the neighborhoods better than anyone, uh, what exactly that community is. But anyway, she's driving around. Suddenly she has an urge for a donut. I got to have a donut. All right. Probably in the middle of the day. She's got a sugar low. I need a donut. And she... <laughs> I'm sorry, people. We have so many problems in the city of Chicago. But this one here. So she sees the donut shop. She says, I, I'm just imagining the conversation in the car, ladies and gentlemen. You know, you get to be mayor of the city of Chicago like president of the United States, the head of Fox News. Have you ever seen the TV show Succession? Like fabulously wealthy people. They never have to like go to a regular airport and wait in line and go through security. They only have private jets and they just get flown everywhere. And the mayor, it's like a mini version of that. You know, the mayor, mayor's not like me or my distinguished guests. She's never going to have to like walk over to the red line or the brown line or the pink line or the purple line and hop on and wait for the train. No, no, here comes a security detail. Hop on in. So when you get mayor, you get used to those kinds of things. To quote Mel Brooks, it's good to be the king. Maybe the quote was, it's good to be the prince. I can't remember. Don't, don't hit me with these details, ladies and gentlemen. It's early in the morning for me. So she said, got to have a donut. Park right here. They park in the middle of a bike lane. She goes in and gets the donut. Now, that's just a no-no, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. You can't park in a bike lane. That forces bicyclers who are supposed to use the lane to go to the left to get around your car so they don't collide with your car. Guess what? You're forcing them into traffic, which defeats the whole purpose of a bike lane. If the city of Chicago is dedicated to the notion that's a good idea to preserve the environment by encouraging more people to get out of their cars and ride their bikes, then you shouldn't be parking in a bike lane unless you really don't care about discouraging people from driving their cars and encouraging them to ride their bikes. Unless that is just a public posture you're taking. 
to promote this ideal of what you believe in as opposed to the reality of what you believe in. And we talked about this yesterday. David Chappelle was on uh, Saturday Night Live. We talked about his uh, opening monologue. My favorite part about it was when he talked about Donald Trump and he said, Donald Trump is an honest liar. He lies all the time. Absolutely. You can't believe him. But every now and then, he tells the truth in a way that no other politician will dare to tell the truth. And that's why his people love him so much. This is Dave Chappelle, logic and reasoning. An honest liar. Lori Lightfoot's not an honest liar. <laughs> we could debate whether she, about the second part of the sentence, is she a liar? But there's nothing honest about a politician who advocates preserving the environment, who says she's absolutely positively dedicated to doing what she can to be less destructive to our climate that we're turning over to our children and their children and their children. You know, well, I'm, I'm even worried about my grandchildren. Like, what kind of world are they going to have when they're my age, if they make it this long? If they're my age, at my ancient age, all the degradation we're doing in the environment. It's like a little thing. I know. I know you go, oh, Ben, it's just one bike lane. It's just one car. I know, but it's symbolic of something else. It's symbolic of politicians who say one thing and do something else. I'm so sick and tired of it. And by the way, Mayor Rahm was no better. Mark Wallace, dear friend of the show, comes on all the time. Shout out, Mark Wallace. I know you're listening. Mark Wallace comes on the show all the time and talks about speed cameras and red light cameras and how it's just a, it's like a hidden tax on the poor. That's all it is. They're trying to squeeze poor people in the city of Chicago to raise more revenue for the city of Chicago without going to progressive forms of taxation because the powerful, the well-to-do have a lot of clout and they don't want those kinds of taxes. So let's just do these like fines and fees, squeeze everybody the same way, even though it hurts a poor person far more than it hurts a wealthy person to get a parking ticket. Mark Wallace is always talking about that. And every time he talks about Mayor Rahm or Mayor Day, uh, Mayor Leifer will say, that's not true. It's all about traffic safety. We just care about the safety of our pedestrians and our bike riders. <laughs> and then you care so much about the safety of the pedestrians uh, and the bike riders, right? You care so much about them that you park in a bike lane forcing bike riders to go into traffic. That's how much you care about them. And then when you're confronted with it, you got to, like, blame the Security. That's a typical mayor's city of Chicago. They could always blame it someone else. Uh, you can't get good help these days. It's that security squad. <laughs> I don't know. I've been reading the stories, uh, Madam Mayor. You know, there's a parking lot right around the street from the bakery. You could have just had him pull into that parking lot or maybe go around the block, although that would use gas. So technically, that would not be helping the environment. Anyway, before I turn things over to my distinguished guest, I'm going to do one of my favorite contests. Haven't done this in a while. Best headline. All right. Uh, I maybe asked my distinguished guest to weigh in and put him on the spot. So uh, this story, the uh, I call it Donut Gate or Mayor Donut, whatever you want to call it, uh, has provoked headlines uh, in three different uh, newspapers. Uh, one, an online newspaper. Uh, my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered as always, has a headline. The Chicago Tribune has a headline. And Black Club has a headline. And we have a headline contest, okay? The brightest headline writers in the city of Chicago had a moment to reflect on Donut Gate. What would their headline be on Donut Gate? So we'll start. <clears throat> Let's see if I could do this, ladies and gentlemen. This is high tech for me. We're going to start with the Tribunes. 
headline. This is Chicago Tribune. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot chastises security detail for parking in a bike lane while she picked up donuts. I love the donut part. It's like, like the Simpsons. The police are always eating donuts. The mayor's got to have a donut. I don't know. I like the donut part, but that's a pretty boring headline. Here's the headline in uh, Block Club. Lightfoot blames her security for parking in bike lane. They shouldn't have done it, period. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. But come on, people. She blames the security guys. I'd say she threw them under the bus, but it's more like she threw them under their SUV. So that's the uh, Black Club headline. Here's the headline of my beloved Bright One Chicago Sun-Times. I'm going to show my distinguished guests that I do uh, subscribe to the newspaper. Get it home delivered every day holding up the whole enterprise with my subscription fees to the Chicago Sun-Times. <laughs> my distinguished guest knows what I'm talking about. Here we go. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> I love that headline. I love the whoever, hey, bright one, whoever wrote that headline, give him or her or they or whatever a raise, okay? And if you're kind of low on money these days, go buy him some donuts. That's a pretty funny headline. Do as I say, not as I do. Very clever headline in the bright one. Uh, do as I say. Wow, well, this is the same mayor. But anyway, the thing about Rom that I mentioned, just want to say, uh, Rom would be his detail would be going through the red lights, speeding through the red lights while saying we must enforce red light safety because it's dangerous to pedestrians. He'd be going through the red lights. He his detail would be ticketed, and then he would like exempt himself because what I don't know. He's the mayor. To quote Mel Brooks, it's good to be the king. Come on, mayors. Mayor Rahm and Mayor Lori Life, get your act together. All right, without further ado, uh, Alden Lowry is my guest. Uh, one of the um, smartest guys in the Chicago uh, media uh, network, I would say. Uh, been on my shows more than once uh, with WBEZ now. But Alden, the first time you came on my, first of all, welcome to my humble little podcast, Alden. I got to get that out of the way. Uh, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Always uh, good to uh, chop it up with you. Uh, I think the first time you came on, you were not with BEZ, as I recall. Uh, I just can't remember where you were. Um, we took a deep dive. It's Believe it or not, Two Guys Talking Demographics is one of our more popular shows. And um, uh, we, we did a whole segment on... Uh, the changing demographics in the city of Chicago, the migration of black people out of the city of Chicago. Uh, you were the one, I gotta give you credit. I said, I said to you, uh, my God, why didn't any mayor address this? And you go, well, Ben, I guess they just didn't think it was a problem. Uh, and that is one of the great Alden Lowry lines of all time, which I quote all the time. Uh, sometimes I give you credit, sometimes I don't. Uh, 50% <laughs> uh, is pretty good, Alden, uh, in terms of credit. But before we get into the latest uh, on migrations and how economic development projects could uh, improve, let's say, the demographic uh, demographics of Chicago, in other words, encourage people to come to Chicago and stay in Chicago, perhaps, using our economic development muscle in that line. Before we get into that, I really would love to talk to you a little bit about the column you wrote right before Election Day that ran in the Sun-Times, BEZ and the Sun-Times are... Uh, affiliates these days. And so Alden uh, writes a column uh, that appears in the Sun-Times. And it really uh, struck a nerve with me. Uh, and um, uh, I immediately reached out to you to bring you on. It all it had to do with uh, voting still matters. 
And you address without using the word, the nihilism. That's what I call it, the nihilism that exists uh, throughout the city of Chicago. Uh, I see it's strongest in black communities. Uh, just the fact that like, it doesn't matter. They're all bad, meaning Democrats uh, and Republicans. Uh, and it doesn't matter who you vote for, it won't change your life, so why bother voting at all? Uh, to me, it's perhaps the, the Republicans, one of their more effective tools uh, when it comes to dealing uh, with black voters, just try to feed that nihilism so turnout is lower, that and just making it harder to vote, you know, just flat out making it, it's a one-two punch there. Uh, and uh, a lower turnout helps them because they're not going to if uh, the higher the turn on the black community, more likely there'll be Democratic votes. So Republicans are not about to do anything that wouldn't like help black people like they wouldn't do anything that would help me a lefty. Uh, so that's kind of how I view things. Why don't you go into it a little uh, a bit and explain uh, your, your uh, uh, the point of view that you had in the column and why you began uh, quoting uh, with, with the quote that you did. So take it away, Alden. Sure. Um, the quote that I start with is uh, uh, one of the lines, I think, in the opening stanza from uh, Public Enemies, uh, by the time I get to Arizona, and uh, uh, Chuck D, the, uh, the leader of the group, and, and you know, kind of the, the main voice, um, uh, says, uh, neither party is mine, not the jackass or the elephant. And um, it's it's a, a line that uh, I just appreciated back in the early 90s when the song came out. But, you know, over the years, I really kind of came to kind of encapsulate, you know, kind of my, my feelings and my thinkings about politics in general. Um, you know, they're they're different, uh, certainly in their ideology and their approach and their characters um, uh, as a as a black man. Uh, you know, I have different reasons for, uh, and I think I use the word detest in the uh, in the piece, and I, I don't think that I, I don't throw that word around lightly. I really do detest parties. They've, I think, just kind of taken over our politics. They've uh, turned uh, the whole political uh, sphere into a a war between the parties, and so uh, everything is regards to you know the advancement of the party and. Perhaps the rhetoric is, you know, we are so diametrically opposed to the other party that we have to be in power. And so we're fighting against that party. But, you know, the Democrats have essentially kind of taken uh, the black vote for granted. And the Republicans um, have never really, uh, perhaps not since the days of Lincoln, um, uh, you know, kind of thought very much, and, and I guess you could argue, you know, did Lincoln think very much of of of, of black citizens? Um, but um, uh, but the Republicans have never truly uh, embraced black voters uh, outside of a very empty kind of pitch, which is, you know, hey, you know, it couldn't get worse, right? You know, you know, try something different, uh, which I think Trump even mentioned during during his time in office. Um, so neither of those parties have served black communities terribly well. It's not to say that they haven't done anything, but so so I have no love. For the party, I have no love for the battle between them. I will, I will say that yes, I have probably voted Democratic much of my life, uh, with the exception of Judy Bartopinka. I've always had a thing for Judy, um, um, uh, but uh, but but not because there's any great love for the Democrats. Um, but but so so I was just kind of making that point that um, I, I don't have any kind of partisan uh, 
affiliation. Um, I think both parties have, you know, devolved our politics into, like I said, this zero sum when it all costs kind of game. I didn't say this in a piece, but I'll say I think the Republicans are worse uh, at it. Um, at least they're worse right now. But but I think both sides are guilty of it. Um, and so all of that was just to say, I, I get it. I understand why people are like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to vote. Um, and right before I wrote the column, I had a, a conversation with a good friend of mine who just railed about how the only reason why he votes is so that um, he could shut shut uh, other black folks up who, who get on him about not voting. <laughs> you know, he's just like, okay, I voted, so leave me alone. But he has <laughs> lost complete faith. Uh, he sees no point in it. And I understand it and I get it. Uh, and so I, I, I pivot from that to say that it, it matters. And you know the reason why it matters isn't necessarily because the vote is going to lead to some dramatic change or what have you. I, 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 I want to say I have a very realistic view about the limitations of, of, of our system. Um, but um, it, it is what we have. I mean, it is, you know, the, the very basic fundamental way that we can be involved and we can have and exert influence. And when we divest from the system, we make it so much easier for the parties to manipulate and control the process. Um, uh, one stat that I threw out there was like, you know, in Chicago, and you talked about, you know, turnout being low. And I mean, it it's really, it's really low this year. Um, um, they're still counting votes. So if you go check the chicagoelections.com website for election results each day, the number creeps up, but we're still gonna be under 50% for turnout. And I think the turnout is, is probably gonna be lower than it has been for most of the midterm elections in the recent memory. Um, and the numbers are really low in black and Latino wards. I mean, it's like down to 27, 30%. You know, overall, I think it's like maybe 43, 44%. But um, those are abysmal numbers. One out of every four voters, or one out of every three voters. That's 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 horrible. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, for every vote that's cast, there are two votes that aren't cast. You know, imagine, you know, quote unquote, the power that could be exerted if we were, if we were, we were all kind of participating. Um, but those of us who aren't participating, and this is what I say, though I call them the disgruntled voters like me, the people who have who are just completely lost faith in a system. It's like, why, why vote? It doesn't matter. And what that leaves is the people who are on the margins, the people who are the zealots, the people who are um, they 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 eat, drink, and sleep this stuff. They, you know, doesn't matter what lies they're told, they swallow them whole, they're watching Fox or they're watching MSNBC. These are people who are on the extremes, and it just helps perpetuate this zero sum when it all costs game between the parties that leaves regu regular people out. The people who um, are, you know, they have nuanced situations. Um, you know, uh, they're folks who are conservative about some things and and liberal about others. Um, they're folks who perhaps. Uh, have the greatest challenges in their lives. These are the folks that actually need help. These are the folks that actually should be voicing their thoughts. These are the people that the parties should be clamoring over to, to win to their sides. But if they're disinvested, if they're di divested from the system, they're not participating, then the parties are just going to go with, with who they know they can go with. And it's just a matter of being able to squeeze uh, the uh, the electorate so that the people who support the other side um, 
don't vote or don't have access or what have you, and that the people who support our side, you know, do, you know, and so you just so you got the Republicans challenging uh, the notion of absentee ballots because you know those are generally the the province of of, of liberal leaning voters. Why they're you know restricting congressional um, boundaries all across the country. Uh, packing in minority voters in districts and and spreading their own voters out strategically so that they can have, and we saw that you know come to fruition uh, with a new map uh, this year, and um, and they're you know retaking uh, control of the house, albeit by a, a slim margin and with less success during the midterms than people thought they would have, but still, you know, mission accomplished. Um, so uh, you know, those of us who are uh, you know, who are agents, if you will, um, who are upset, uh, disenchanted. Um, it's really vitally important for, for those voters in particular to be a part of the process because they, they keep the parties from dumbing down the politics, you know, you know, spreading this fear and all of this other crap. You know, those are the people that they really have to make a, a sensible argument to in order to, to win their vote. But if they know they don't have to do that, then yeah, they just preach to the choir, uh, and like I said, try to limit uh, the choir of the other side um, to to give themselves a, a better chance to win uh, with their base. Um, so uh, yeah, so that that was that was in a nutshell what what I was 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 trying to impart. So well, I have a confession to make. You didn't vote, did you? <laughs> Are you? <laughs> no, that's not the confession. Oh my goodness. My mother, may she rest in peace, would come back from wherever she is if I did not vote. I come from a family. When I turned 18, Alden, my mother, I was in Wisconsin in college. You're coming home to vote for Abner Mikva. You're coming home. I mean, it wasn't like, I don't care what, it wasn't like a question, could I do it or not? It was just, that's the. I mean, that just was the culture of the house that I grew up in and uh, politics was supreme in that house with, with my mom, not so much my father. So there's no chance. I, 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 to me, voting is the equivalent of like watching the bulls. It's like something like I would not imagine not doing. No, the, the confession I was going to make is that I'm one of those zealots that you just ah, okay. uh, alluded to. That was the confession I was going to make, okay? I'm a totally obsessed political junkie. I take very seriously the difference between the Republican and the Democratic Party. I view where the Republican Party did as a serious existential threat to democracy in our country right now. And I believe that it's imperative for absolutely uh, pretty much everybody who's not part of MAGA uh, to deter them. And I... I'm with you. I know Judy Bart Topinka. She was that's a 2006 gubernatorial uh, election against Rod Bogoyevich. I did not vote for her. I voted for Rich Whitney, who was the Green Party. Mm -hmm. I could not vote for Rod Bogoyevich. That would just you're asking too much of me, <laughs> Democrats, my beloved Democrats. But um, so I, I, I like the, the just the issue of gerrymandering. This is what my confession is, and get your thoughts and reaction to this. I just wrote a column. I don't know if it's come out yet, extolling uh, Speaker Chris Welch, the leader of the Democrats in the House of Representatives, for doing a masterful job of gerrymandering the Republicans uh, with the congressional maps, so that uh, Sean Caston and Lauren Underwood and Bill Foster and uh, 
were victorious and uh, Raja was victorious and uh, Eric Sorensen, the new congressperson from the from what uh, Sherry Busso's old district, Nikki Puzinski, all these people outside of the Chicago Democratic bubble were victorious because Chris Welch, a master of the game of politics, did to a Republicans what Republicans do to Democrats. I am I'm like I'm like game respects game. OK, <laughs> Chris Welch, you are the man. And I said, if by chance it didn't happen, the Dems take the House, keep the House, Nancy Pelosi better send a bouquet of roses to Chris Welch, uh, the speaker, the Pride and Joy Proviso West High School. He did it to, on the map. And so my attitude, Alden, is that in a principal way, I understand exactly what you're saying about how gerrymandering uh, is leads to the degradation of politics overall. But we, we don't live in a perfect world. We live in this like world controlled by MAGA, by and large. And they are just gerrymandering the hell out of Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, yeah. Texas, Georgia. Yeah. I'm like, what, what are we? It's like if you asked someone to go in the ring against Mike Tyson and you said to that guy, okay, you can fight Mike Tyson, but you got to do it with your left hand tied behind your back. It's hard enough to fight Mike Tyson. How are you going to survive fighting Mike Tyson when he has two arms and you got one? So that's my challenge uh, to you. How? What's your response to what I just said? Well, I mean, you know, like I said, the the um, uh, you know, I think in this 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 uh, I think I called it like a, a street fight. You know, like this uh, bare knuckle street fight with with no rules and no honor. Um, I think the Republicans have been. Uh, more guilty of, of fighting in that way. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're in the, on the front lines of that battle and you want to win, um, I can certainly understand that you, you take that. Uh, the, the thing I would say is that um, I, you know, it's, 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 it's still a street fight, you know, and uh um, you know, maybe the only way you win a street fight is, you know, if the other guy's got a gun or got a, got a knife, you, you got to get a gun, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, and, and not to be insensitive, but, you know, take a look at the violence in this, in, in our city. And so if, if we were in a street fight, uh, in our city at the end of the day, you know, are we still winning because we, we walk away from a bloody battle? victorious, you know, uh, you know, is our city better when that's how people are resolving their differences? Um, so the thing I would say is that um, if there is an alternative to victory that involves a high road uh, that doesn't involve, you know, kind of stooping to, you know, gerrymandering districts, um, you know, perhaps that's putting rules in place that, that stop the gerrymandering from happening on either side. Um, maybe it's putting laws in place that, um, that keep people from, um, the, the voter suppression tactics, you know, getting rid of voter ID laws. And, and you might argue, well, how do we get control in order to pass the legislation to do that if we don't gerrymander the district so we, 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 we gain control, you know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think the Republicans made a tactical decision some years ago, and I think there are a couple of documentaries that, that kind of chronicled this. Um, where they, they, they went hard after state legislatures 
um, and passed a lot of the laws that ultimately helped them gain power in Congress because they were redistricting, they were putting in those uh, voter ID laws and other forms of voter suppression. Um, um, and even years prior to that, you know, passing you know, felony disenfranchisement laws and things of that nature, particularly in Southern states, which you know, had a dramatic impact on the, uh, particularly on the, the, uh, the ways in which black men could participate uh, in those states. Uh, and that chipped away enough for them to, to win some victories uh, in those states. So um, I, I, I get it, I do, um, but that would be, and again, Maybe that's a, a Pollyannish way of looking at it, but 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 that that would be my recommendation. I I, I just think stooping to to that level, um, just it you know it just puts us farther in the gutter, and um, and this is the one thing I'll say, and I I think this is true. I think the Republicans are far more willing to stoop than the Democrats are and have been, and so if Democrats go low, I would say wait and see, Republicans will probably be willing to go lower. And so <laughs> maybe you won this battle, you know, yeah. maybe Speaker Welch, um, and I agree, he's, he's, he, is, he is a very sophisticated, polished and smart, uh, almost even, I would say even brilliant politician. Um, he was good at the local level and, and, and it's interesting to see what he'll do uh, at the state level. But, um, but uh, and the Republicans in Illinois are a different brand um, they're, they're not they're, they're not as calculating um, um, uh, and I'll say as maybe as street smart as, as their colleagues across the country. But um, but 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 I would say if, if Democrats choose to go that route, then I would say ex expect that the blowback is 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 probably going to come come even in harder and uh, with uh, with with less classiness. So <laughs> prepare for an even bloodier battle, I would imagine. No. You know, I, I agree with that last point. And I, I would say push back a little bit. I, I'm not saying that the Republicans in Illinois are a different brand. They're just outnumbered. So yeah. uh, they would be doing it in a heartbeat to uh, a Speaker Welch. And the brilliance of Speaker Welch, if he were here right now, Alden, he would deny. I would say, great job, masterful job of gerrymandering the hell out of me. He goes, Ben, that's not what we did. We had a fair map. Uh, we, and Republicans were part of the procedure. And let me tell you something. We had 20 hearings on that. <laughs> you are so good, man. Just, okay, you are so good. Just whatever. So he's he's really good at what he does. And he's a big improvement over the man who was speaker before him. And uh, I think uh, I think everybody would agree on that pretty much, except for the man who was before him. Before him. Um, by the way, I, I, by the way, just your, to your point, which I actually agree with, there is legislation in Congress which has been blocked by the re Republicans that would have uh, na nas nationwide rules for redistricting, so that we would have uh, we would get rid of partisanship. There is a law; it's been blocked by the Republicans. So Kevin McCarthy, newly Speaker of the House, join me and Alden. I uh, the part of the two of us, please vote. Push this through, and then we'll get rid of gerrymandering altogether. We'll have computer-drawn districts, and we'll have, like, suddenly Republicans, think about this, Alden, will have to appeal to Chicago Democrats for their votes. Uh, Chicago Democrats will have to appeal to Republicans for their votes. Just imagine how, like, policies would change and alter and views and opinions. It'd just be, the world is unimaginable as I see it. 
Uh, I may yeah. not welcome it because I'm a lefty. Go ahead. Sure, sure. I was gonna say, but you know, that's 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 at least that's at least the thought, right? Um, but there also has to be some sort of a culture shift at the at the top of the parties to say, you know, we can still go after what we want to go after. We can still serve the American people in the best way we think possible. But they have to be willing to kind of literally go toe to toe in the ring with standard rules, no low blows, you know, no punching after the bell. Just like the referee tells you, you know, you got to stick to these rules. And, you know, the parties have been kind of making up their own thing as they go along in an effort to gain an advantage. And so people have to be willing to say, no, we're going to do it this way. Yeah, let's, you know, mano a mano, we'll see who wins, you know, who makes the best argument wins. And we'll go into a bland district with bland boundaries um, that's geographically focused the way the the mapping experts have you know have talked about you know compact um, uh, uh, districts and um, and make our case uh, as opposed to drawing the lines in a way that 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 that, that suit their interests. Um, now I do think the lines do need to be drawn to ensure that um, uh, you know you know disenfranchised communities have the opportunity. Uh, you know, to in terms of to reflect the numbers uh, that that they should uh, in Congress, um, but uh, but that can be done, I think, in a way that it still is somewhat uh, competitive for both parties to be able to to uh, you know to, to 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 go ahead and make their case. But yeah, what we've got right now is 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 a total is a total farce. All right, I'm now going to turn things, uh, make a connection between the conversation we just finished and the one we're about to have. Uh, and you talked about how the feeling uh, among voters in Chicago, particularly uh, in the black communities, black wards, is that it doesn't matter because no matter what we do, uh, it doesn't benefit. There's no uh, substantive, I could see benefit uh, to voting. Uh, I, I resist uh, just uh, that nihilistic view, but I completely understand why it exists. And I'll give you a case. Red line extension. Red line extension. This is on my mind. Alden knows it. He's already sat through me that <laughs> one phone call talking about this. But there has been a proposal in the city of Chicago since I moved to Chicago. I moved to Chicago in 1981. When I moved to Chicago, I remember Alden meeting with people, activists on the far south side of Chicago and Roseland and communities like that who said that red line has to be extended. Uh, and throughout the 80s and the 90s, we extended from 95th Street where it ended all the way to the city's uh, southern border so that you could open up communities to uh, better transportation to get. So if you live on the far southeast side of Chicago, you can hop on a train and come downtown. And then if you had to, you have to switch to Metra. You could go. In those days, the talk was there were jobs in the suburbs. How do you get people on the south side of Chicago, the southeast side of Chicago, a, a convenient route? to like Hoffman Estates or Elk Grove Village or any of these suburban job bases. I remember this was the conversation going on back in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, and you got to extend the red line, extend the red line. All these years later, I'm watching one extension after the red line is on the north side's rebuilt. The brown line on the north side is rebuilt. The pink line on the north side is built. I mean, it's like they're, they'll do the brown line three times before they do the extending of the red line. Finally. We're about to a proposal. I got to give Mayor Lori Lightfoot credit. I teased her at the outset about donuts, but I got to give her credit on this. Proposing to extend the red line. And all of a sudden, 
Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's a lot of money. Uh, what's the bang for the buck? I'm like, see, that's why I understand the nihilism. You get what I'm saying in the black community? Because it's like, what? <laughs> I, you know, I never heard you talk about bang for the buck when it was put. Remember the, uh, the, that 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 what was it called? The crossover or what? Oh, that's Allen Iverson's dribble. But whatever the thing. Uh, at Belmont, where it cross, yeah, I think it's oh, the yeah. flyover, the flyover. I call them the crossover. Uh, <laughs> Tim Hardaway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so help me here, Alden. I mean, I how I can understand why a black border in Chicago, if he or she is paying attention to the politics, just of public transportation and how we spend our money, would have a nihilistic view, because. <laughs> I never, you know, two standards, it seems, uh, for projects, one that benefits the black community on the south side and one that benefits the white community on the north side. Help me out with the public transport, uh, transportation issues. Go ahead. Well, you know, this this is a um, this is a tough call. Uh, you know, I'll say that. I, I mean, you know, uh, and it always has been, um, you know, there is certainly a very strong case to be made. And these are I mean, Oakville Gardens, I think, is perhaps the prime example it is literally isolated from the rest of the city uh, from, a, from the standpoint of public transportation. And also understand that um, I know public transit gets a ton of usage on the north side, um, but public transit is still a very fundamental way for lower income black folks uh, and lower income folks in particular to get around. Uh, they may not be riding the rail the way they are on the north side, but they are certainly riding the bus and riding the bus in larger numbers. Um, and, uh, but rail is the way to really get somewhere and get somewhere quickly and cover a great, great distance. And if you're isolated from rail, um, your commute can just be torturous. And uh, you, people will, they, they gotta get on like three or four different buses to get them to a rail line. And then even after they get off the rail line, they may have another bus or two to catch. Um, uh, and so uh, it limits a lot of what you can do in terms of just taking care of your household needs, but also in terms of getting to work, looking for work, so on and so forth. Life is just a lot harder. And that community in particular is one that is really kind of frozen out due to its uh, inability to connect to the rail system. So, uh, and I think Algill would essentially be the 130th Street would be the, the end point of the extension. So for that community and a number along the way, this is, any, this would be an immense uh, benefit of, of an immense uh, level. Um, uh, the question is, the the question becomes, do you pay? And I think the price tag has got to be easily over a billion dollars. I want to say it was a billion when they were you know, projecting what it would cost 15 years ago. Um, and so the question is, do you spend a billion dollars to provide benefits to those communities? And that is a very fundamental question that we have struggled with for a long time. Do we put public dollars into communities where there is a sense of it being a gamble? You know, like you're saying, bang for the buck. Um, those questions aren't asked as often, if at all, uh, when you're talking about pink line and brown line and uh, the north north uh, side of the red line uh, for communities where folks are, are, are whiter and wealthier. Um, those questions just aren't asked. I, I mean, they they put they they built uh, stations on the green line um, when there was nobody there. <laughs> I mean, they, they they put a station there at Twenty Second Street, and I can remember picking up the green line there, uh, and it's 
first few months, I mean, it'd be me and like maybe three other people standing there looking at each other like, uh, where where are all the people, you know? And it's like, I don't even live here. I, I drove, so I didn't want to have to park downtown to catch the line. So I drive to 24th Street and then I walk and catch the green line there to get downtown. I don't have to pay as much for parking. I don't pay it all for parking, at least at that time. Um, but, um, uh, you know, so, you know, we will expend public dollars on the promise of people that we tend to value more. Um, but when there is a dead, dedicated need, um, that's when we start asking questions about, well, you know, is it is it worth it? Um, so, but with that being said, in a cash-strapped city like Chicago, you know, I guess we can never truly question when, you know, people ask those types of, of, of questions around fiscal matters, particularly for the, the price tag that we're talking about. It's responsible to raise questions about, you know, you know, is it worth it to do this? I think the, the next question should be, you know, can we do this for cheaper? Can we do this in a more efficient way? Can we still get the rail to folks with a lower price tag? But, um, but, 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 but yes, something has to happen. And we've been talking about it for more than 30 years and that's probably a good 10, 15, 20 years too long. Uh, a commitment needs to be made to these communities. It would send a signal to those folks, the disgruntled, disgruntled folks that, you know, hey, we do care. We've been listening. We know this has to happen. We're going to make it happen. Um, to the city's credit, I know they've explored some other types of options. I think at one time uh, there was a discussion about a, a way to maybe uh, make some changes with Metro uh, and, and and use the Metro lines that run out there to, to, to some kind of way to connect to the CTA. Uh, and I'm not sure, you know, what, what happened that made that maybe a, a less viable option. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of land acquisition that has to happen to make this work. But, you know, of course, the construction costs, um, it's not necessarily the, a very easy path. You know, the red line runs along the, the, the Dan Ryan there, but it's going to be a lot harder to, to do that, to get it out to where they're trying to get it out to. So um, so it's, it's, it's a tall order, it is. But a commitment needs to be made because those communities desperately need it. And um, the disinvestment, uh, you, you know, one of the one of the, in addition to just kind of the, the public service that this provides to residents, you know, one of the hopes is that you know ex extending this opens up the possibility of uh, investment opportunities. Um, you know, the city has has really doubled down on the notion of transit-oriented development. Um, they're doing tons of it um, along the blue line, in particular on the on the north side. Um, they, like I said, put in extra rail stations to accommodate some of the the increased population. Um, there are people who've moved so that they could be closer to, to transit. Uh, there are people who've opened up businesses um, along that to take advantage of the traffic that comes from the people who want to live near transit. It works, you know, philosophically. I, it's a it's a it's a strategic uh, way of thinking that a lot of people buy into. Um, but they haven't had a whole lot of success on the south side with, with TLD, um, largely because the, the private sector hasn't quite bought into it. Um, so this is even what the public sector is trying to make the investment. Um, so there's this question around the rail line extension where the public sector is saying, well, do we really want to spend that kind of money? But there's also a question around the private sector. Will they come if we build it? And on the south side, that's a very real question that you, it cannot be taken for granted that they will come because you build it. Um, so from a a standpoint of being prudent, you should ask that question, but perhaps it means that you just kind of have to try harder uh, to ensure that the, the private investment will come. Um, you're complimenting uh, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, her Invest Southwest 
um, uh, initiative uh, was kind of her signature uh, uh, attempt to try to bring investment to to South and West Side communities. And I would say it's had some mild success, um, um, but uh, so that there, she is at least making an attempt. Um, but but yeah, you know, the city may have to work three times harder than it normally does to to bring folks. But um, but you know, it's that level of commitment, sadly, that is sometimes required. Um, and uh, perhaps there needs to be a, a way of holding folks' feet to the fire. Uh, one of the kind of bees in my bonnet is, um, you know, the, the big brand names that come to Black neighborhoods uh, in Chicago and then pack up and leave a few years later. And they come in with all this fanfare and, oh, how, look at how dutiful and, and, uh, and, and proactive they're being and altruistic and all this and all of that. And then a few years later, it just kind of comes down to business. Well, you know, our margins are short. We've got to make some cuts. We're cutting here. Things weren't working out, you know, and, and all this and all of that. And we never hear anything like that in the years that they're operating. But when they close up, all of a sudden now things things were bad. <laughs> you know, so Target packed yeah. up a few years ago, closed the only two stores that they uh, they had in black neighborhoods while they were building targets on top of targets uh, on the north side. Uh, Starbucks closed down um, uh, one of its only stores in a black neighborhood in Chicago over 71st and Stony Island. Uh, you take a look at the map now of, uh, of Starbucks locations in the city of Chicago. There is literally a Starbucks desert south of Hyde Park and east of the Dan Ryan Highway and east of 57, Interstate 57, as Dan Ryan links into Interstate 57, anything east of that, south of Hyde Park in the city of Chicago, no Starbucks, nothing. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's like, you know, there should be dots here. Maybe something's wrong with my computer monitor. It's like, no, <laughs> no dots, no Starbucks. Black yeah. people on that side of town, um, uh, Latinos, the white folks who are left in Hickwish, none of those folks drink Starbucks anymore because we don't have any more locations there. Um, but that's a reality. Uh, and of course, the Whole Foods in, in, in Inglewood um, closing um, the only Whole Foods in um, in Chicago that was in a majority Black area. And I think one of literally, you can count them maybe on one hand yeah. in the entire country of the 500 plus uh, Whole Foods locations in the nation. Uh, there may be you know, five or six that are in majority Black census tracts, a little analysis I've been working on in my spare time. So. Um, there's a definite problem with private uh, sector investment in black neighborhoods. Um, and uh, they invest Southwest is supposed to leverage public investment to bring that private investment in. But the reality is, is that that is a much harder thing than it is elsewhere. And so you definitely have to show the commitment. So mm -hmm. if we're gonna do this, let's let's put our money on the table and make it happen. And then let's put the, 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 uh, the resources and the people power behind it to bring the investment in to make that public investment pay off. Mm. But but we have to be willing to do it because the alternative is letting us part of the city that's losing population, that's disinvested, you know, for decades, literally die out. Um, and the only the only hope for investment is essentially to repopulate the area with people of a certain ilk and a certain ethnicity. Um, that the public, uh, the private sector clamors for. Um, and that's been one of the only ways in which we've seen longtime black communities get investment um, is when they become something other than longtime black communities. All right. Uh, 
I am now going to channel my inner uh, David Seaton. David, I know we'll be listening. I don't know if you know David Seaton. He's a uh, talk show host on WVON. Uh, he was just my guest yesterday, frequent guest on my show as well. Uh, David is a conservative of so- no. I- I'm David. It's unfair to you. I apologize. Uh, you're more of a conservative Democrat. Okay, let's just put it that way. So he voted for. He's not a nutcase Trumper. All right, he voted for Biden. Uh, but whenever we have these discussions, we have them all the time. All in. Uh, he is quick to tell me uh, that uh, in a capitalist system, you cannot force a company uh, to invest in a community uh, where they think it's too risky. And and he'll tell me this. David Seaton will tell me point blank while he's telling me I have to read Thomas Sowell, by the way. He's always making me read Thomas Sowell. Uh, <laughs> a little shout out, David Seaton. Uh, but he's always telling me, Ben, you cannot make a company invest in a poor neighborhood where they run the risk of going out of business because they have to spend so much money uh, on security and law enforcement or what have you, protecting themselves. Someone's going to rob them. You cannot force them to do that. Uh, that's absurd of you to think that uh, that they could be compelled to do that or that they should want to do that. Uh, and um, so we go back and forth on this. This is a long going debate between us. Uh, I'm curious what your response is uh, to the David Seaton point of view. My response would be bullshit. That would be my response. And the reason why I say that is because um, the private sector talks about a lot about, oh, it costs so much more to do business in these places and so on and so forth. We don't know. We we don't know. We don't. They're, They're a private sector company. They're not bound to FOIA. They're not bound to all of these things. We don't know exactly what they're spending. Okay, I I think certainly it's plausible that they might spend money on uh, security. They might spend money on other things. I get it. Um, but there are a lot of companies that are coming into these places with all kinds of bells and whistles and incentives. The city is putting out to get them there in the first place. You know, when Target opened up, city rolled out the red carpet. The city rolled out the red copper to, to, to get Inglewood, uh, it's Whole Foods, it's Starbucks, and it's Chipotle. You know, there's a lot that the city provides to these folks to come to town to begin with. So, like, how, you know, you know, uh, one of the criticisms when Target closed that we heard from people in the community was that they didn't invest in the store. And so, you know, because they could go into the Target there at uh, 86th and Cottage Grove, and they could see it was understaffed. They could see that the, the place wasn't, the, the shelves weren't being turned over the way they should have been turned over. Uh, staff were, were even complaining about how, you know, Target wasn't making sure that uh, that, that place was equipped to handle the customer load that it had. Um, and so when when I hear companies say, oh, we're spending this, we're spending that, you know, just kind of like, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure if I should take that at face value. You know, and the other thing, too, is that these companies don't operate in a vacuum. Their stores in black neighborhoods, the very small number of stores that they have in black neighborhoods are a very small part of their uh, of their overall footprint. And if they've got to make a decision about where they invest their money and their time and their resources, um, are these the places that are going to be at the top of their list, places where they may feel going in? This is a gamble. This is a risk. We don't know if it's going to work out, you know, so on and so forth. So I, I don't know about that. And it, the other thing, too, um, I remember talking with um, uh, uh, he was a, a former city planner in the Emanuel administration uh, who was on the staff when they were making the case to bring 
the Whole Foods, the Starbucks, and the Chipotle to that corner, the Inglewood Square corner there at 63rd and Halstead. And he said he had to fight. He's an African-American. He's now the, he's a state rep, uh, actually, up on the north side. I'm, and his name is Mike Simmons, state That's senator. It, Mike Simmons, right, right, state senator. Thank you. Um, and so he told me that, you know, there were, you know, like they were having these detailed conversations behind closed doors about does this make sense? And he was saying that I had the numbers. It made sense. This neighborhood can support these communities. It can hold them up. You know, the, the numbers are there. The 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 interest in in the in the products are there. And ask anybody who goes to the Starbucks there, sixth or third, I'll say that place is always packed. You know, um, it, it can happen. The numbers work. But he said there was so much skepticism that, it, the, you know, the debate internally lasted months longer than it should have about whether to pull the trigger on this. So I, you know, I, I get it. I do. I really do. I just don't know if we should trust everything that we hear from these companies. And if we want to know why these places are pulling out after four or five or six or seven years um, after they got a bunch of public incentives to come to town in the first place, make these people show us their books because they've got to answer not only does Target uh, and, and Starbucks and Whole Foods have to answer to the communities on some level, they don't really have to answer. The people who have to answer are the people who opened the door and invited them in and said, we want to be partners with you. We're going to do some stuff. You're going to do some stuff. You're going to give people what they need. When those people pack up and leave, the only people left that folks can ask questions of are their representatives who said, hey, this is going to work for you. Okay, I, the, the, these representatives were probably walking around talking about, hey, look what I did. I brought a Whole Foods here. I brought a Target here. I did this. I did that. Right. So when those folks leave, then you're responsible to some degree for them leaving as well. So, you know, build in some some um, some requirements for these companies to show us enough so that we can determine when they leave town. It was a it was a decision that made sense for that company. But but there's also a decision that, that has to make sense for the people who are left now with another empty albatross sitting in the neighborhood. So, you know, where is their protection? You know, uh, how do we know? OK, because if we can all at the end of the day say, hey, this didn't work. Thanks for giving it a try. Then great. No harm done. But if you're you know, if you're giving us only half the story and you're essentially cutting bait here to save the the what you perceive to be a lower risk investment in some other part of the country in some whiter, wealthier neighborhood, maybe that's just slowly developing. And so you say, hey, we need some more time to see if this thing will take off. All right, well, let's just cut bait on the store here where, you know, yeah, we've got some decent margins, but not enough to make us say we got to stay there. Let's get out of here. We, our prospects are better long term in this other place. And I, I think that's what's actually happening as opposed to, oh, we're spending too much on security and all this. Yeah, certainly they're spending more on security. But at the end of the day, they're making a decision in this much broader landscape uh, for their company. And this is low hanging fruit um, to, 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 to cut bait on. And I think that's, that's ultimately what happens. So let's, let's require these folks to show us enough so that when they come to us and say they can't do this anymore, we can all feel good that they're not just kind of pulling wool over our eyes and yeah. cutting bait to save their prospects some other place. Yeah. Oh, that's a good riff. Uh, I, I remember, boy, when you, that, that, when you started off talking about Starbucks, I remember, uh, Magic Johnson initiatives, Magic Irvin Magic Johnson, the basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers, become a very successful businessman. Uh, and he was linked to those Starbucks there. I think they were called Magic Johnson's Star Starbucks. His name was directly linked to them. And um, obviously, uh, Starbucks has made 
a number of decisions when it comes to expansion and getting out, closing some stores. Uh, I've always thought all of them, and this is just, this is the nihilist in me. Okay. Uh, this is the nihilist in me that just doesn't believe anything, anybody or me, cynic, skeptic, whatever you want to say, uh, call it, but that like when give you an example, whole foods came to go with, I'm like, this is about something else. They're coming to Englewood because they're getting something else somewhere else. All then you're going to be like, Ben, you're too cynical. You're too skeptical. Come on. I'm like, they got something to come to Whole Foods. <laughs> I mean, to come to Englewood. Okay. And Rom's gone. So they got what they needed. All right. See you later. I just, that's how, and so that's how I can kind of relate to the, the nihilists in the black community who don't vote. I will never go there. I think they're, they're just fooling themselves ultimately. You know what I mean? But I can understand why people feel that way when I watch all these things go on. And like, you're absolutely correct. If Whole Foods was such a great idea for Englewood, it was, if it was helping the community and helping Whole Foods and helping the city of Chicago, then I'm sorry, guys. I'm not Milton Freeman. I believe, like, you do have a wider responsibility to the world you live in than just your responsibility to the shareholder. That's the famous Milton Freeman line, you know, that corporations are responsible only to their shareholders. What about if it's shareholder Liz and Englewood? Aren't they responsible to that guy? You know, yeah. even if he doesn't directly own stock in Whole Foods, his, his union's pension might be invested in Whole Foods. I mean, we're not, like, separate little individual communities that are segregated. I mean, you literally are in Chicago segregated from each other, but you yeah. follow what I'm saying all in this yeah. should be a greater yeah. sense of responsibility. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if target whole foods, Starbucks, if those folks are coming to the city and saying, Hey, look, we're having some troubles here. We may have to pull the plug, but everybody seems surprised when these decisions are made. So that at least, seems to me that maybe there aren't you know these painstaking conversations about how to save uh, save the, the thing you know what whole foods could have come out and said hey look you know if we get this over the next six months we'll stay um you'd have people probably coming out of the woodwork saying hey i'm gonna go to whole foods in inglewood because i want that store to remain there um you you may have the city saying hey We'll do this or we'll do that. You know, save your money on security. You know, we'll make sure that, you know, the 7th District is patrolling that area well enough that you'll feel comfortable, you'll feel secure. Um, one of the, all these clothes, and it was talk about, oh, you know, there was problems with, with, with theft and this and that. And, you know, we ran some numbers and, you know, it didn't look any more dangerous than it did in other parts of, the, of that neighborhood. This is the one over at 76th and, and Ashland, mm -hmm. you know, so... Like I said, when when I when we hear the the, the the rationale for why the closures happen, it always seems like you know this could have been handled better. Even if you're being on the up and up about what the struggles were, there, there's no conversation, there's there's no negotiation, there's there there's no other remedy than to close the store. And the impact that that those closures has on those communities is dramatic. It is it is incredibly dramatic. So uh, yeah, you would think that. And folks know that here, whether they're on the ground and living in the neighborhood, so they're representing those folks in City Hall 
and folks would do what they felt they needed to do in order to kind of remedy the situation if companies were coming forth early enough and, and being honest about what their struggles were. Honest enough. Uh, just take that uh, sentence out, uh, those two <laughs> phrases. I will close with this uh, brief discussion because we could do a whole show on what I'm about to ask. I uh, just want to say this. While I'm, as a preface uh, to um, the question I'm about to raise, uh, as I look out the, my, my window, it's snowing outside it's uh, mid-november and it's snowing in the city of chicago uh and so uh alden lowry has dedicated uh, a good chunk of his uh, recent uh, career as a journalist uh, and as a great thinker into the issue of uh, black people leaving chicago it's snowing it's november i'm thinking of four months of utter bitter cold chicago i could suddenly understand why anybody of any race or any ethnicity would leave this god for like i'm not gonna call it a hellhole because i'm not darren bailey um but uh i just had to get that in there um it's snowing alden uh so Black people leaving Chicago, your great line, which is nobody saw this as a, I don't think they thought it was a problem, Ben, which just I think about from time to time and just chuckle. Uh, it seems like the people at least say, well, it is a problem. We're addressing this now. So that has changed uh, to a certain degree. You get what I'm saying? When you first raised this issue, well, then Mayor Rahm never talked about it. Okay. Uh, what? Huh? <laughs> uh and I remember Chris Kennedy, who was running for governor. This mm. you and I talked about this. He yeah. was the one who said point blank, uh, Mayor Rahm's planning decisions yeah. are uh, moving black people out of Chicago. And uh, he got crushed by the editorial boards of the Sun-Times. How dare you say that? <laughs> Even though it's true. Uh, so what's, you know, what's your view of it now? Like four or five years after you uh, first raised the issue. What's your view of things now? Go ahead. I, uh, I, I still think it's a, a very uh, real uh, and pressing issue. Um, uh, I, it would not surprise me if there was uh, some thinking, uh, at least in some halls, uh, where it's like, you know, hey, this thing is happening and it's not necessarily uh, a problem. I, 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 I don't know. Uh, I don't know that for certain, but I actually don't think it, it has to be some intentional thing. Um, uh, you know, structural racism is a real thing. And, um, and so we have systems, um, uh, we have ideologies that really help perpetuate the continuing inequities uh, that, that are very real for us and that we observe on a daily basis. And um, it really takes uh, a lot of forward thinking and planning to reverse those things. So right now, you know, uh, you know, we have a whole host of challenges, economic challenges, challenges with the job market, uh, challenges with housing. And these are communities that are always kind of on the, 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 the lower side of things uh, in those in those systems. And that's the way it's been. That's the way it, it, it is now. That's the way it may always be unless we are forward thinking enough and courageous enough to, 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 to try to address them. But there are always going to be some level of deficits. And, and I don't say that to say that these communities are deficits, but, but we live in, a, you talked about segregation, you know, so you open a business in these neighborhoods, understand that people from outside of that neighborhood aren't coming there. 
Um, you know, there aren't people coming from the north side to shop at uh, uh, even a name brand place, you know, at 79th and Western. You know, they're, they're not coming. Now, if you have your only location on the north side, same company, there'll be people from the south side that will go up to the north side to shop there. But the folks from the north side aren't going to come to 79th and Western to shop there. They're not going to come from the south sub or the, you know, the, you know, uh, white suburbs on, uh, in the south suburbs, southwest suburbs to shop there. They're not. So your your market is constrained uh, when you locate in, in these communities. And, and that has a dramatic impact on who decides to come to those communities and how long they stay. Um, so understand that that's part of it. So your job is going to be harder in these communities. Um, so, uh, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, what we need to do to repopulate these areas, understand that everything that we're doing everywhere else in the city is going to be harder here. Um, and that's why, you know, we're talking about the level of commitment that you have to make, so on and so forth. So, so it doesn't take necessarily a grand, uh, you know, plan or philosophy or what have you. We can literally just kind of sit back and do what we've always done. And we're going to continue to get what we've been getting. And so, you know, it's the reason why in 1980, Auburn Gresham and Chatham had higher median household incomes than Lincoln Park. You know, let that let that sit with you for a moment. You know, that was 40 years ago. Um, Auburn Gresham and and uh, Chatham were recently formed majority black communities. I mean, they had been shifting, you know, from the 50s and, and particularly in the 60s uh, and into the 70s. But by 1980, they were both majority black and their median household incomes were higher than the median household income was in Lincoln Park. Now, Lincoln Park was a different Lincoln Park than it is today, but it, the seeds of the Lincoln Park that we know of today were starting to be planted back then. Um, the Puerto Rican community that was there disappeared, a few a number of other changes, and it became the Lincoln Park that we know of today. Now, granted, it's also you know extremely close to downtown Chicago, so there were some benefits. It's along the lake, you know, not just discounting that, but you know it's Lincoln Park. <laughs> you know, I don't need to say anything more. It's Lincoln Park, and those kinds of communities can can be created and sustained far easier. Um, than the Auburn Greshams and the Chathams. But in 1980, Auburn Gresham and Chatham were two of the most solidly stable middle-class black neighborhoods in Chicago. And look what they've become, you know? And I'm, I'm not, you know, Auburn Gresham, I grew up there and I've always adored Chatham. So I'm not down, I'm not trying to speak low of, of these communities. Um, but what I'm saying is that um, we have to give supreme effort to maintain um, stability in black neighborhoods because, you know, society as a whole, um, as a whole, the private sector business community as a whole does not value or think highly of those spaces, you know, so those are the last places that people want to go. And when they do go there, they don't want to stay long or any longer than they have to, or the minute they feel unsafe, or the minute they feel like they're going to lose money, they're, they're, they're hitting the, they're hitting the road, you know? So, um, uh, so this population loss thing doesn't need a grand plan, but in order to stem it, it does need a grand plan. It needs a grand plan, it needs great commitment, uh, and it needs resources. And so if we're not willing to do that, then, um, then 
we're going to continue to see the deficits. And the, the reality that we have to understand, you know, I, you know, since I've been writing some of these comments and sometimes when people talk about, oh, you're a race beta and you're this and you're that and all that, whatever. The, the truth of the matter is, is that we live in a very racialized society and Chicagoans, if anybody else should acknowledge that, Chicagoans should acknowledge that. So if we understand that that's the kind of place that we have been, then we know that, you know what, it doesn't matter if it looks nice and it's, it's, it's doing well for right now, if it's a black community like Bronzeville, you know, Bronzeville looks really like it's in a good spot right now, you know, well, how long will that last? And if it does last, how long will it last and, and, and remain a majority black space? You know, um, we can't take for granted, you know, we have to continue uh, when it comes to black communities, we have to continue to, to protect and preserve and look for the challenges that are, that are on the horizon um, and, and work to maintain um, the solid, uh, particularly the solid black middle class that's in those communities to help uh, undergird them, but also to address challenges with regard to safety, with regard to education, um, with regard to housing costs to ensure that black folks, um, particularly lower income black folks, uh, still have viable options to live, to go to school, uh, and to be and to be safe, um, because uh, it just doesn't happen naturally. And we, we should know that uh, from the decades of history that we've seen those communities struggle and and decline um, because we just figure, you know, they'll be just like any other community. We can do the same things. We we can't do the same things. All right, Alden, uh, that was a good spot to uh, end it all. I, you blew my mind with that quote, uh, which now I'll be quoting that. And uh, I got 60% of the time, I'll give you credit for this one uh, about Auburn. Uh, I did not know about that uh, compared to Lincoln Park. Uh, Lincoln Park was indeed a very different community in 1980. Black people lived in Lincoln Park too, not just Puerto Ricans. A lot of yeah. black people lived up there uh, when I first moved to Chicago. And uh, that blew my mind when you said that. That's... Um, my guess is that uh, to, to tie your two quotes together, uh, nobody in the city of Chicago saw it as a problem uh, when Puerto Ricans and Blacks left Lincoln Park. And I'll just uh, tie the uh, Alden Lowry themes together to close this conversation. Alden, thank you very much for giving us uh, all this time. You do great work. I completely disagree with those uh, people who, uh, the haters who uh, send you those uh, emails and texts, but you must be doing something right because. I, I generate a few of those myself, so I know what it's like. Um, You're a flamethrower, man. I, I love you, man. You, <laughs> you, you hope you do not hold back. I love that. Yeah, I'm a flamethrower. <laughs> I'm a scared flamethrower. I'm a, Did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by any chance? I have uh, not seen it, no. Oh, my goodness. you got to see. But there literally is a flamethrower in that movie. When you said I'm a flamethrower, I'm like, I thought of Leo DiCaprio. I'm not going to give anything away. I'm just going to urge you. Uh, if you have some downtime during the Thanksgiving holidays, uh, watch that movie. That's a great flick. I'll, I'll check it out. I'll check it are out. you a QT fan? Are you Quentin Tarantino fan? Or are you one of those people that doesn't like him? I appreciate Quentin Tarantino. There's some things that he's done where I'm kind of like, okay, I'm like, all right, QT, you, you're kind of pushing the line here, man. You're really pushing the line here. So, but, um, but, but I have generally enjoyed his films. Yes. Okay. Uh, a subject for another time. Uh, Alden, everybody in your, your family, happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, keep up the good work at BEZ. Alden Lowry, ladies and gentlemen, L-O-U-R-Y. No excuse for not finding his uh, stories uh, on the internet. That's how you find it. 
keep up the good work. Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for coming on the show. Hey, appreciate you, Ben. Thanks for having me, and, and same to you. Enjoy the holidays. All right, very good. That's a great Alden Lowry. I also want to thank uh, producer Chris sitting in for Dennis today. Uh, Dennis had a doctor's appointment, so uh, producer Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody.